Bible Worm, Bible Worm, reading the Bible with Bible Worm. Welcome to Bible Worm, getting to the core of the biblical text. I'm Dr. Robert Williamson, professor of religious studies at Hendricks College and theologian in residence of Canvas Community in Little Rock. And I'm Dr. Amy Robertson, Director of Lifelong Learning at Congregation Or Hadash in Sandy Springs, Georgia. We're here every week to discuss the biblical text, both as biblical scholars and as people of faith, one Jewish and one Christian. This week, we're reading Matthew 6, 25-34, Jesus' well-known instruction not to worry about tomorrow. We talk about anxiety and the difficulty of living in the present moment, entrusting the future into the hands of a loving God. But once we observe that the passage begins with the word therefore, connecting it to the previous verse, things take a turn. You cannot serve both God and money, says Jesus. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. As it turns out, this passage is about economic anxiety and the fundamental importance of trusting that God will provide enough for tomorrow so that we can tend to the needs of our community today. We talk about spiritual practices that can quell our anxiety and help us trust in God's capacity to provide, and we discuss the urgency of forming communities of radical trust in which we place the needs of the widow, the orphan, and the stranger ahead of our own desires for economic security. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Amy, what's happening in your world? I came to a morning minion, like prayer circle service thing at seven o'clock in the morning. Oof. That is the only, and this is not impressive to someone with small children, yeah. but that's very early. There's one thing about being up at seven in the morning. There's another thing about being up at somewhere else in a presentable way, ready to be part of a group. That is a whole uh, other yeah. level. I mean, I usually, I didn't get up earlier than I usually do, but I usually get up and drink coffee yes. and then run and then shower yeah. and then, There's an you know, whatever. The and, day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just to, to like show up and now it's like, now you're going to sit down and pray quietly. <laughs> I was like, oh, <laughs> am yeah. I really going to do that? Or yeah. am I going to fall asleep in my chair? <laughs> so in conclusion, I am tired. Yeah. Before we got on the, on the uh, podcast, you were telling me that you got to talk about golden hemorrhoids today. And so now every time you I talk did. about sitting down or any of the other things, I'm like, ooh, that's uncomfortable. If you- and yes, I've taught two things today. One was on the Jewish spiritual practice of quieting. Mm. That was after that morning prayer thing. That's why I went so early. And then and then the golden hemorrhoids in 1 Samuel 6. Mm-hmm. Should we say anything about? We haven't done that. Have we done that? We haven't done that text. I don't really think the narrative lectionary Probably is going to give about us the that text. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. This is one of the ways the Philistines try to appease God, right? God keeps afflicting them with hemorrhoids, and so they make God a, a golden hemorrhoid as a way of. <laughs> they do. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of weird. It's kind of weird. Kind of a weird story. Mm-hmm. Well, Amy, I am still on my sojourning podcast. Uh, trajectory in which today I am podcasting from New Providence Presbyterian Church in Maryville, Tennessee, which is the church where my in-laws go and where my wife grew up. And so I'm just making a little tour 
of Southeastern <laughs> Presbyterian churches and recording I podcasting. love that. I love that. And I just have to like give you some kudos for always finding a place yeah. that is quiet enough and private enough that you can record a podcast for a while while you're traveling. That's, just, that's not easy to do. Here's my new Bible worm proposal. We, we get an RV. <laughs> we, <gasps> we paint a big Bible worm on the side of it. We drive around the country from congregation to congregation of people who listen to the podcast. We go to their place and we record a podcast in their like fellowship hall or their Sunday school room. Then we we get back in the RV. Get back in the RV and keep going. Yeah, this is a fantastic idea. How long do you think it would take before we were utterly tired of each other? It might take a while. I don't know. Maybe we could have two RVs. Yeah, unsure. We have. <laughs> I'll we fly. have spent a lot of time together, we but have. always with like our own homes. Yeah, not on the road. <laughs> mm-hmm. That would be a whole other yeah. level of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway. Well, if anyone wants to sponsor that endeavor, um, let us know and we'll probably not do it anyway. I remember some Something drive we, we took to together it. somewhere. I don't know, it was like three or four hours. and We drove to Montreat. We drove to Montreat, North Carolina, the mecca of Pres- Southern Presbyterians. And you, we were listening to music and then somewhere along the Somewhere along the road, you just turned off the radio and you were like, my ears are tired. Let us sit in, si- <laughs> <laughs> Let us sit in silence. And I was like, okay. <laughs> my ears do get tired. I ask Will all the time, do you want another song or are your ears tired? And he's like, what is wrong with you? And I'm like, I don't know. Because <laughs> he's a music producer. Like his ears never get tired. Yeah. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, Amy. So uh, before our ears get tired, we should probably talk about the text that we have before us today. Let's do. We've done a sort of an interesting thing here. We're in Matthew chapter 6. The narrative lectionary has given us an option, Matthew 6, 7 to 21, and or 25 to 34. So what we did with that was this past summer, when we did our series on economic justice, we did that first part. We didn't go all the way to Mm. 21, but we did the Mm -hmm. section on the Lord's Prayer in Mm -hmm. 6, 7 to 14. So I'll just say, if anybody is looking for podcasting information on that part of the text, the Lord's Prayer, you could go back to episode 350 from last summer and pick it up there. And we're not going to do that over again today. But I, my recollection, I mean, I haven't listened to that in a while, but my recollection, it was, it was a pretty interesting conversation about the Lord's it Prayer. It was very interesting for me to encounter that text through the lens of economic justice in particular. Yeah. So today what we're going to do is the second part of that text in Matthew 6, 25 to 34. This is kind of a famous little passage. Don't Mm -hmm. worry about tomorrow. Like I learned this when I was a kid. Like it's it's a pretty good text. I'm I'm curious to see uh, what what we might do with it. Yeah. I don't know that we need to talk. I mean, we're still in the Sermon on the Mount, which started in last week's text with the Beatitudes. And we've continued on. There's lots of interesting stuff in there. I don't know that. I'm not sure we need any of it to get into this text, but is there anything when you're sort of prepping for today that you're like, ooh, that's really important that we know before we get started? You know, I think in some ways you have led us into that already just by mentioning that we read this text specifically in the context of a series on economic justice. Because I'll yes. tell you, I sat down first and read the verses for today yeah. without reading what yes. came before them. Yeah. And then I went back and read what came before them. Yeah. and. It's really like, do not store up treasures on earth. No one can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and wealth. Like 
the issue of wealth and sort of stockpiling of wealth should be in our minds yeah. as we're as we're getting into this because like yes this is do not worry great i love that but but yeah for me it was really helpful to have that framing for the whole thing i'm glad for you to say that I, one of the questions that i had for how we do the podcast today was whether we should try to do it the first way you said, which is read it without that economic justice framework and then come back through with an economic justice framework. Or we could just own it from the beginning, <laughs> which maybe mm-hmm. is what we've done now. I'm curious, do you, for based on your first reading, was there stuff that you got in there without reading it in terms of economic justice that you're like, ooh, that seems really important? Or was it only when you got the economic justice that it started to click in? You know, I'll tell you, I I got to the economic justice pretty quickly, but I wasn't sure if that's what the text meant yeah. or not because it reminded me of some text in Deuteronomy. Yes. And then I went back and read the text in Deuteronomy and the context of those texts put me in the mind frame of, you know, sort of not uh, stockpiling and trying to amass power and all of that. So I got there. I got there a different way. I just didn't know if I had made up that way. And then once I read the context, I said I did not make it up. Okay. Well, Lynn, let's read it. Just fully owning. I mean, one of the things that I was curious what you were going to do with is the very first word in this passage, at least in the common English Bible, I don't know what it is in the NRSV, Mm. is therefore. Is it? Yeah. And so Yes, it's therefore. Therefore is very clearly like summarizing something. Yeah. But when I was a kid, I would just read this as though the therefore wasn't there. And people would be like, don't worry. Like life's going to be fine. Which is, mm. I mean, I mean, I didn't mean to say that like sardonically. Like that's a good message. Yeah. Like we can yeah. really wear ourselves out worrying about things. And if we trust that God is in control, then that's, that's a gift. And I mean, for a, for a middle school, an anxious middle school mm-hmm. boy, like, that was really, really helpful. Mm-hmm. But then as I got older, I was like, you know, that therefore seems like pretty, pretty pointed. <laughs> and so I wonder, I wonder what that, yeah. uh, that is. So I'll tell you what I'm going to do, Amy. I'm just going to back up now and read 624 because I think that sets the frame okay. for everything. So here's Matthew 624. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other or you will be loyal to the one and have contempt for the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Therefore, right? That's, that's the way we get mm-hmm. into our passage. So you cannot yeah. serve both God and wealth. Therefore, here's Matthew 6, 25. Yeah. I just, I just want to pause there. And this, this is coming back to our summer conversation, but I mean, that is a bold statement. And it really, like when you start to think about what that means, that, really starts to reorient a lot. You cannot serve God and wealth. How how do you make sense of just that idea? I mean, it's such a, um, I feel like it's such a provocative way of expressing this because I, who would ever say I serve wealth? Yes. Nobody says that. Right. Right. Wealth serves me. Yeah. Right. But I think by framing it this way and putting wealth sort of in the parallel position to God and say, which one's it going to be? It really forces me as a reader to say, like, what are the ways that I orient my life at the end of the day towards God or towards wealth? And I I can claim until the cows come home 
that I don't have a choice but to focus on wealth because the world is the way it is or because I have children to take care of or because, because, because. And that I guess that's some of what this next right. text will, will try to deal with. But first, it just puts that reality just starkly in my face. I don't think that was your question. No. <laughs> I don't remember no. what your question was. <laughs> I don't either. But, that, but I really love the way you answered whatever I asked you. And I think that's Great. exactly right. And, you know, a lot, I mean, and I do this myself, but I hear a lot of people like they will when this is trying to put your feet to the fire a little bit, like you're suggesting, like, yeah, God and wealth actually are kind of in conflict with each other and they're both Mm -hmm. trying to get you to serve them and you better pay attention. And I will often hear people make a quick cop out and I will do the same, which is to say, well, I don't actually serve wealth. I serve Mm -hmm. God and I just like have wealth. Have wealth. Mm -hmm. And this text, I think, is forcing us to ponder a little bit longer. Is it yeah. actually true that I don't serve wealth? What, what would that look like if I did? And then what is the alternative? And then to yes. process a little, a little more. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Because in some ways, like it doesn't even make sense. I serve wealth, but you have to think about then what does serve mean? Right. Like how do, how do these things direct your actions and your decisions? Yeah, it's a, for such a short sentence, it's very provocative. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's very provocative. Yes. Walter Brueggemann wrote a, I know you, I know you love it when I talk about Walter Brueggemann. I do. I, always, like, he's I always hope like, I meet him someday. I, yeah. Have you never like met Walter? So well. Oh my goodness. I don't think so. Bible worm trip to Walter's house. And that would be amazing. In the RV. Yeah. In the, yes. in the Bible worm RV. Uh, he would love that. You and I could talk to him about, oh, that would be amazing. <laughs> he wrote a book. Uh, that our summer series was loosely organized around called Money and Possessions. And mm. it's about the theme of money and possessions in the Bible. And this was the, the verse in the Christian Testament that he thinks is basically the Bible's attitude from Deuteronomy to Revelation about yeah. wealth, that you can't serve both and you better figure out which one you're actually serving. And it really re- has reframed a lot, a lot of things for me. Okay, so we'll pick up with our passage then. I'm just going to read that last sentence again so we don't start yeah, on the yeah. therefore. Yeah, keep it in our head. Mm-hmm. So we're in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. I'm going to read through 30 right now, and I'm reading okay. in the Common English Bible. You cannot serve God and wealth. Therefore, I say to you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds in the sky. They don't sow seed or harvest grain or gather crops into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth much more than they are? Who among you by worrying can add a single moment to your life? And why do you worry about your clothes? Notice how the lilies in the field grow. They don't wear themselves out with work and they don't spin cloth. But I say to you that even Solomon in all of his splendor wasn't dressed like one of these. If God dresses grass in the field so beautifully, even though it's alive today and tomorrow it's thrown into the furnace, won't God do much more for you, you people of weak faith? Mm. This first verse really, and it frames everything that's going to come after. Don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Like that, mm. I mean, Jesus just named a lot of the things yeah. that I worry about. Yeah. <laughs> You know what? <laughs> this is written just for you, Bobby. Yeah. 
how do you like, I mean, like, how do you get started thinking about like, that just seems like such a, I mean, it's, it's gentle. It's a, like an invitation. Like you don't have to worry, but I mean, good grief. How do you not worry about your life or what you're going to eat or drink or anything? How do you make sense of that? I will tell you the first sort of maybe question I had for like, when it, when it says do not worry, I feel like you could think of that as don't you pay any mind, like don't pay any attention to, don't give it a thought. Yeah. Or don't worry, like implying thoughts about the future, like trying to plan ahead and ensure something that, that is not here and now in the present. Yeah. So I wonder, I mean, when I first read this, you know, one of the questions in my mind was like, well, it's, we have to find things to eat. What do you mean? Don't yeah. worry about what to eat. Like God gave us bodies in the, <laughs> yeah. you know, and I can, so like, what do you mean? Don't worry about it. But then I wondered if it was sort of a call to like, to really be present and deal with the, you know, the moment and the life you have right at this very moment and not like try to lock in your security forever, because that's what, that, in my experience, that's the kind of behavior that really leads to this stockpiling of wealth, like yes. this feeling that that's how you're going to get security. Because even though everything's fine now, it might not be fine tomorrow. Yeah. Do you read worry with that? How do you read the word worry? Like, is this trying to keep us in the present or is it trying to say, yeah, you don't need to think about it at all? Yeah, no, I think, Amy, I think you're exactly right. That Greek word there, merimnao, I think, I think the best way to read it, and I almost, I almost shifted the translation myself to don't mm. be anxious about or don't have anxiety mm. about, because mm-hmm. I, do th- I think you're exactly right. It's not saying, like, you don't have to figure out what to eat for supper tonight. <laughs> like, it's going to yeah. take care of itself. I mean, the Bible is not naive. Jesus is not naive about the fact that people need to eat and you need to wear clothes and you need to do things. But I think you're exactly right. It's that forward-looking anticipation about Mm -hmm. how am I going to feed myself tomorrow? How am I going to sustain my life tomorrow? What's going to happen 10 years from now? What if this bad thing happens to me? And that can produce this anxiety that you're exactly right results in that's all now that's what I can think about. And now I'm not just thinking about making sure that the needs of myself, and I think in the background, we'll see here my community are mm-hmm. being met. I become singularly focused on this uh, what's going to happen in the future and securing myself mm-hmm. in the future. Yeah. Some scholars are reminded here of deuteronomy twenty eight, that sort of blessings that Israel gets when they come into the land. Uh, at least part of Deuteronomy 8 is ble- 28 is blessings, where it's the sense of like, when you live in God's world, there is plenty, mm-hmm. and therefore you don't mm-hmm. need to be anxious all the time. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean you don't have to grow food and you don't have to, you know, sew clothes and you don't have to build houses or whatever, but there is, there is plenty. You'll be taken care of. Don't be anxious about it. Um, just do, do what is needed for, for today. Yeah. Yeah, that the line in here in my translation is, it's not life more than food. Yeah. That made me think of Deuteronomy 8.30, where it says it, a human or a man shall not live by bread alone. Oh, yeah. Jesus quoted that last week to, or whenever that was to 
Satan in the wilderness. Yes, yes, mm-hmm. yeah, yep. And that's what got me sort of going back into sort of what what was the context yeah. of that of that quote in Deuteronomy. And again, it's it's really similar to what you're saying. It's just the Israelites at that time are about to move into the land where they'll be able to grow crops and there won't be manna. And so they will now have the opportunity <laughs> to hoard food yeah. in a way that they haven't had the opportunity before. And they will maybe be confused into thinking that when they have a good crop, it was their own power that caused them to have all of this wealth. Yeah. And so this whole thing is sort of an exhortation against that hubris in Deuteronomy. I don't know that it's pulling all the hubris part of it in here, but yeah, that's how I initially got to the, the economics of it was through that I love that Amy and when you think about it in terms of coming into the land like that I like it makes sense that there was anxiety about come about where you were going to get food when you were in the wilderness for 40 years mm-hmm. and God is feeding them every day with manna we we read that story was it last year on the podcast mm-hmm. and that the man here's enough for today you've got to trust me that I'm going to feed you again tomorrow and and yes. the day after that but then you tend to think like, okay, but once we come into the land of abundance, we don't need to have that anxiety anymore. But people are t- t- figure out a way to be anxious anyway. And yeah. to think of, like, oh, this is my achievement and therefore I've got to make sure I keep achieving. And how do I make sure I keep achieving? And so, you know, this is interesting. This like, don't worry, cuts in both of those ways. Don't worry yeah. if it appears you don't have enough because there is enough. You just have to trust. And also don't worry if you seem to have more than enough because the pursuit of even more is going to be detrimental to you. Yeah. So then after this initial instruction, Jesus points to natural phenomena as kind of, I don't know, as supporting evidence. And first let's look at the birds. They don't do nothing. (laughs) (laughs) And yet your father (laughs) feeds them. Aren't you much more valuable than they? Can you help me think about what, kind of argument Jesus is setting up there like what's he what's he doing well some of it I think the way it landed with me is sort of that the birds don't do anything to earn their keep around here (laughs) and so you don't have to either like you are enough Mm. and the world will provide for you that angle takes it a little bit out of economics I think it does and I'm trying to think if there are ways to connect them. So, I mean, I am no ornithologist, but birds actually do stuff. I, I was being a little hard on the birds when I said birds don't do nothing. Because they do. They go around. They yes. pick up the worms. They build the nests. Like, they feed their babies. They do, they do things. They just don't produce anything in particular. And so... Like this text is a little bit saying, it's not like letting you off the hook. Like you don't have to, you don't have to have any concern for your daily well-being, but it is saying there's plenty out there and you've just got to go make use of what there is out there. You've got to gather it to yourself. Yes, I think that's right. And I think, oh, maybe here's how I had them connected in my head before, that the birds are not concerned with, like once you start amassing food or wealth, even if you're doing it initially because of anxiety, it gives you a certain status. Yeah. 
in your community. And then you have anxiety about maintaining your status. Yeah. And the birds don't have any anxiety about that. Yeah. Like the, like that, that's sort of, you know, when I say like, you're enough, you don't actually have to, you don't have to earn a status. Like, you know, that, that line from Desiderata came into my head. You are a child of the universe, no less than the trees and the stars. Mm. And you have a right to be here, which again is yeah. not economic, but when people start worrying about their worth as a person, yeah. sometimes they'll fill in those gaps yes. with accomplishments or wealth or, you know, something else you can point to. I think that's right. And I think the other place that it connects to economics is birds also, I mean, as far as I am aware, don't gather more than they need at the expense of other birds, right? And so if you imagine some bird that suddenly decides, like, I'm going to get all the seeds and I'm going to stick them in my, I'm going to build an extra large nest. I'm going to hide them from everyone else. Mm -hmm. So the problem comes, like, there is plenty. This is sort of the frame, and we've talked about this on the podcast a lot, but the framework of the biblical text from the Torah forward is God created a world of plenty. God provides plenty. The problem Mm -hmm. is human beings don't know how to share the plenty. Mm -hmm. And so once we have started anxiously gathering to ourselves, it deprives other people. And so, yeah, I mean, they're actually, when you look at it, when you go to Canvas community where I'm working now, homeless people are saying, well, there's, there's actually, there's not plenty, you know, but the reason there's not plenty is because people are taking more than they, than they need and right. they're not leaving it over. And right. so this text is saying, don't, don't do that. Um, right. the birds don't do that. There's plenty out there. If you would just take what you need, then we would all be able to, to have enough. You know, and uh, like we didn't read this section of the Beatitudes, but there's, there's a whole section in here that's, you know, we read the part that says, I'm not here to overturn the law, but to right. fulfill it. Right. And then it goes through all the laws and says, like, it, it's really, it seems like it's kind of even raising the bar on some of the things that are commanded in the Hebrew Bible. And, and that came into my head reading this because at this moment in history, asking people not to think about collecting extra food for the future. Yeah is harder than it maybe than it was when they entered the land of Israel or at some other point in history, certainly harder than it is for the birds because the, the empire has, has pushed everyone else to be collecting it. So like everyone around you is collecting. If no one were collecting it, this wouldn't be a problem. Yeah. But the reality is you live in a world where people are doing that. And this text is telling you not to. Right. That's hard. That is hard. And Rome itself had the reputation of just like sucking the wealth out of the entire empire into the yeah. city of Rome. And like the whole of the Roman provinces became a supply chain for the elites in Rome itself. And so if the empire is amassing wealth and the instruction yeah. to you is don't do that, the easy response is, but but they're doing it. Like that's the only way you can, right. that's the only way you can It's the survive. only way you can survive. That's how it feels. But it is like, it's reinforcing that that's the way the world works. Like if right. everyone agrees to live by those rules, then, yeah. then you're serving wealth. The salt has lost its saltiness, so to speak. Mm. Yeah. So Amy, in the Bible Worm collaborative group, people were troubled, and I think rightly so, by the end of verse 26, aren't you worth much more than Mm. the birds are? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. some people Mm -hmm. were saying like, I'm Mm -hmm. not sure. I'm Mm -hmm. not sure that's true. Yes. Do you have any 
wisdom about that? I mean, I'm a little troubled by it too, even though I am a person who has pets and do not believe that my pets have the status of people (laughs) in our household. I mean, I think, yeah, I really, I hear that trouble and I think it's, I think it's valid and real. And I think, I think it is in some ways a logical, maybe logical is the wrong world word, a reasonable worldview for folks who, who lived with animals and had to eat them, eat the animals that they had raised. And I don't know that they're, that, I don't know. I'm just talking in circles here. I understand the concern and I just don't think that was really the worldview of the time. And I'm not sure that even though I would critique this, I don't know if it's really my worldview either. I don't know, Bobby. What? Do, I feel like I should I understand have read the some, concern like, either as well. People. Yeah. No, I mean, and I think in particularly in our day and time when h- human beings have caused a great deal of environmental destruction, mm-hmm, thinking mm-hmm. ourselves oh, yeah. more important than we are, I think it's absolutely worth paying attention to. I have two inadequate responses to it. One is the form of the argument is what we learned in our mm-hmm. course on Midrash as a Calva Homer argument from, mm-hmm. the, from the light to the heavy. Do you want to remind us what that rabbinic argument is? I mean, it's just like taking an example that is sort of provable or seems relatively obvious, such as the birds are cared for by the natural world. There, there's enough for them. And then going up to the big, the bigger one and saying, all the more so must it be true that this bigger thing is, is true. Right. So if you're trying to convince people that they don't need to worry about themselves, then you say, look, God is tending to these birds mm-hmm. and later to the f- lilies. And you're, you are more in God's eyes than they are. And therefore, how much more so? That's the Calva Homer. How much yeah, more so? How much the more so? Mm-hmm. And so you need yeah. that logic in order to make the humans feel better here. Yeah. So part of it is the cost of the argument, which, you know, mm-hmm. and so it's, it, there's evidence there. Like, oh yeah, birds actually are taken care of. That does make sense. And so yeah, so you can, right. They can see, people reading this can see that that is true. The other thing that I think is implied there, I don't think the text is making this point, but it, what is implied there is that the birds and the, and the lilies and the grass are uh, objects of God's care. It is, it is exactly the point that God does care about them that makes the argument work. And mm-hmm. so even if you say humans are more valuable than birds and flowers, you're still saying, but birds and flowers are so valuable that God takes care of them too. And yeah. so it's, we're not talking about like who has the right to exploit whom, but the fact that all of creation exists in the sphere of God's care. And so you, mm-hmm. if they do, you should trust that you do too. That, that, Ultimately, the whole thing is framed as God's taking care of, of everything. Mm-hmm. Right. And the point of this is really not a ranking of who God cares for the most. Jesus continues that argument with this um, pointing to the lilies in the field that are arrayed like Solomon. I don't, I just, I'm just curious what you do with that image. I think it's such a, an interesting image. I think, you know, whenever I hear Solomon sort of name checked. <laughs> I think of Solomon as, you know, a king of sort of great wealth and grandeur. Yeah. Who did collect for himself. Who, yeah. 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 Who did collect for himself. And so in some ways I feel like this is the, 
I don't know if it's the inverse of a calvachomer, but it's, you know, comparing flowers in the field to the most wealthy yeah. king in, in the history of the, these people. And it's saying the king had nothing on the flowers. So for, for all, all the ways that you might want to amass beautiful garments to wear, and I have a question for you about that in a minute, the flowers do better and they're not doing anything. Yeah. I love that, Amy. The flowers trust in God's providence or whatever you want to talk about it. And they are more beautiful than the guy who worked the very hardest to, to gain wealth for himself. And was quite successful. And was quite successful. Yeah. I can't help but think Ecclesiastes because, you know, Ecclesiastes is sort of reflecting on the futility of what Solomon did and how all that effort was useless. That seems to be, I don't know if this text is trying to reference that or not, but it certainly calls calls it to mind. Yes, it does. Yep. It calls up that same question. Mm -hmm. In fact, this whole passage about not being anxious about your life uh, is very much in the ballpark of Ecclesiastes. Just take the day as it comes. Yes. And it'll take care of itself. Yeah. What was the question that you ha- have for me? Well, I think it might be uh, maybe a little remedial. It was a question I had as, as I was reading, and now I think maybe we've answered it. But when it's talking about clothing, is it talking about like status, like fancy clothing, or like don't, don't worry about whether you'll have clothing to wear in terms of like clothing you actually need for warmth or shelter or mm-hmm. comfort or is it talking about I it's talking about status right I think I think so and I mean this is an interesting aspect of this text because you know it is important to have clothes especially as you were saying in the winter when the mm-hmm. elements can be very dangerous and so it's not simply saying like you'll be fine if you don't have any clothes right you're not actually a flower. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But we human beings move very quickly from yes. I need something to wear so that I don't get cold at night to hey, look, my, you know, robe is fancier yeah. than your robe and those kinds of things that it says about us. So we we yes. become anxious. I think that's what it's warning us about. Yeah. That clothing is out there. I mean, I'm just thinking back to the story of Adam and Eve, even in the in Genesis chapter mm-hmm. three, and the first thing that God does when God realizes that they've eaten from the fruit is to give them clothes. And so, like, there's there's clothes available, and we and we should yeah. have them, but we shouldn't be anxious about them and worry about status and worry about making sure we have like you know extra sets of clothes in case something yeah. happens to the one we have now and th- and things like that. Right. It's just so interesting to me how all of these. I shouldn't say all of these, there aren't so many examples, but like the example of food and the example of clothes, you can't really, I mean, I guess there are nudists, but you can't really just swear off them entirely. Like we do have a need for food yes, and we do have a need for some kind of shelter or warmth, but it seems like as soon as, as soon as society can do it, it like latches on to that and it becomes like commercialized or a source of status or a source of money. Like I'm thinking of, you know, kind of silly things like um, how you remember when you used to be able to just get water for free when you were thirsty. (laughs) Yeah. And now they come in these, you know, lovely bottles that are, I'm sure also destroying the environment, but all of a sudden people like corporations just decided they owned bodies of water and could sell the water. And I feel like this is this is pressing against that. Yes, you need food and you need water and you need warmth and you need shelter. 
but it's some combination of anxiety and status makes us go nuts about this stuff. I think you're putting your finger on what is urgently important about this text is, is it's not saying these things aren't important. It's saying these things are important and they, and they will be provided like there is sufficiency, mm-hmm. but let the sufficient be sufficient. Mm-hmm. Right. And don't press right. past that into these other kinds of things that we get ourselves into. Yeah. Amy, there's one line that I sort of skipped over because it seems slightly unexpected in verse 27. He's been talking about food mm-hmm. and then he's about to talk about clothes. Right in the middle, who among you by worrying can add a single moment to your life? And I was like, I wasn't clear that that's what we were talking about exactly. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, but I feel like in some ways, maybe that's exactly what we're talking about. Mm. Maybe that's, you know, that ultimately what what we're afraid of, what we're anxious about is that we're not going to be able to survive and we're never going to be able to like satiate that can you satiate in anxiety? I don't think so. But like, we're never going to be able to, to sort of fill that hole, you yeah. know, with, uh, by amassing wealth or clothing or so, whatever. Like we're just making it worse for ourselves. And this text is saying like, it, it doesn't matter anyway. Like yeah. your worry's not, it, it's not helping you. Yeah. It's not. Yeah. You're, I mean, these two, we're, in my mind, we've, we're, we're sort of pulling on two threads that are related, but yeah. they're different. One of them is about wealth and status, yeah. which is to say, don't pursue things, don't amass things to be more important or to feel better about yourself or to show that you're superior to others. And I think that's right. And I think that's in this text. For me, myself, I don't think I struggle with that very much. And I say this obviously mm-hmm. as a person of considerable privilege, but I mostly don't worry too much about that. But the other thing that you're sort of pulling on with verse 27 is an actual anxiety about what, whether what you have today is enough to sustain you through tomorrow. And I'm the kind of person, I mean, I do think about like, how am I going to live in my retirement? And like, am I going to end up sleeping um, on a street somewhere? Am I going to be somebody who's coming into canvas community on the other side of the table? I think about that stuff. And like, what are my kids? Are my kids going to be able to go to college? Like, I think about all of that stuff, which is for me, at least as when I, at least on the surface of it, is not about power or prestige, but it's about survival. And I may have an overblown sense of what survival means, but I really, really struggle with that part. Um, so yeah. when it says, don't worry about your life and you're go- it's going to be what it's going to be. You're going to die when you're going to die. <laughs> like, what can you do right. about it? Right. It's not saying you're never going to die. <laughs> yeah. so you are going to die, but you're going to, yeah. 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 It's this you know, I was thinking the other day also, we probably both think about this a lot. We're at, at that age where we start thinking about like, how are we going to survive? Are we ever going to retire? Like, yeah, <laughs> I don't know how this is going to work. <laughs> yeah. But it's the kind of thing to me that it really feels like a bottomless pit. I don't know at what point I would ever feel like yeah. I have enough yeah. for the future because I don't know what the future is. Yeah. I don't know how long I'm going to live or what I'm going to need or... So I could see very quickly that like it becoming a rabbit hole of just like a mass, a mass, a mass, and always feeling like it's not going to be enough. Yeah. This is reminding me, I'm flashing back to all these conversations, but we had a similar conversation about love in our discussion about the temptations in the wilderness, about how like if you have a love that you need to test, like you're, ne- it's never, you're never going to mm. be satisfied. Yeah. And so this is the similar conversation, but it's about actual things that sustain your life from the day to day. 
And if you have to test that, you're never going to be satisfied. That's so, you've so got, interesting. You've got to trust. You've got to trust the providence in the same way that you trust the love. You trust that yeah. you're enough. You trust that there is enough. So much trust. And then, so, and then Jesus, like in verse 30, is like, you people of weak faith. And I'm like, that's a little harsh. But then I'm like, you know, but that's exactly what I just like literally just said. It's like, it's hard to trust that much. That is the definition of weak faith. I know, I know, but he's supposed to be like sweeter about it. <laughs> I know, Jesus is not overly sweet through much of Matthew's gospel. It is really interesting how much of these texts that are really calling us to a different kind of behavior are, I feel like, are, are trying to address human anxieties really directly. This was in the time before Prozac, Bobby. <laughs> yeah. The, the English word faith, at least in a Christian circle, has often come to be thought of just in purely religious, like, do you believe in God or whatever? But mm. I think it's a much more useful translation to translate it as trust. Mm-hmm. Like it's not a cognitive activity exactly. It's a, and it is a cognitive activity, but it's one that plays itself out in the living of one's life. Yeah. So do you believe that God is going to take care of you? Yes. And therefore, do you live trusting that God is going to take care of you? And if you do, you're not amassing things. Right. That's exactly right. Yeah. So that, that has helped me when I, whenever I read the, oh, you have little faith, I, I, I will often reframe that for myself as you have little trust. And then I'm like, yep, that's me. Like, that's true. If you say I have little faith, I'm like, eh, I don't know. Like, we can debate that. If you're like, you don't, you don't have a lot of trust. I'm like, mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got me. You got me. Yeah. Yeah. Hi, everyone. It's Bobby here. This month, Bible Worm has a special offer just for you. If you've ever thought about joining our Patreon, now is the time. For the month of January, we're giving all our subscribers access to the full range of Bibleworm features. If you join now at the Bibleworm supporter level, you can get early access to episodes, weekly worship liturgies, and video Bible studies, all for just $4 for the month. If you've ever wanted to try out our Patreon, now's the time. We hope you'll join us. And now, back to this week's episode. All right, we'll pick up in verse 31, which is another therefore. Therefore, don't worry and say, what are we going to eat? Or what are we going to drink? Or what are we going to wear? Gentiles long for all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Instead, desire first and foremost God's kingdom and God's righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, stop worrying about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself each day has enough trouble of its own. So hmm. the line that always strikes me a little, like it just rubs me funny, probably because I'm a Gentile, <laughs> which I realize is ironic given that all, all the things that are said about your people in the, in the New Testament. But uh, Gentiles long for all these things just seems a little out of place on the first reading of it. Yeah. Can you help me make sense of what that means? Like why are Gentiles getting called out right there? You know, I mean, I can tell you my best guess. I don't know if it's a very good guess, but it's, I guess I see that as like the, the people around us who are not trying to live into this kingdom of God that we've been told about in the entire Hebrew Bible, you know, that they don't share this vision. They haven't been told about this vision. So, I mean, of course they have their own religions, but Jesus is not concerned with that. So 
it would make sense then that, of course, they're interested in status symbols and trying to secure their own, you know, future food sources. Like, of course, they don't trust in the God of Israel. Why would they? Tr- they don't might not even know about the God of Israel. Right. They just have no frame of reference to that. So I see it as just a differentiation between like you people of the Hebrew Bible. Yes can have faith, can trust, like can live a life of trust that this will really happen, even though other people are not doing it because they're just sort of outside this understanding. I think that's a really lovely interpretation. I think that's exactly right. And the the one place I would press it just slightly further is to Mm -hmm. say, Matthew has sort of set up, or at least our reading of Matthew anyway, has sort of set up this idea of, you've got the kingdom of heaven on the one hand, which is that vision laid out by the Torah about what it means to be God's people, Mm -hmm. which has been given to Israel. And the alternative to that is the kingdom of Rome, which Mm -hmm. is a little bit of like a, like collecting all the other possible worldviews and saying "Mm, the dominant thing here is Rome's worldview, which is about power and might and wealth and accumulation. And so I, I read Gentiles as a shorthand for people who live according to the logic of the empire of Rome. Yes. And not Gentile as a, a, the people of God who live according to God's word given in the Torah. And yeah. so it's not possible for them to live like this because they don't know, they don't get it. Only, yeah. uh, only the people of Israel get it. And the Gentiles now in Jesus's ministry, the Gentiles are being invited into this Torah yes. story, um, right. but they can't get there from the Gentile story. They got to come into the Torah story in, mm-hmm. in order to, to get there. Mm-hmm. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I think reading Gentiles in this situation is a shorthand for followers of the Roman Empire is makes a lot of sense. And then when we think about, you know, the modern world and caught between two kingdoms and like which kingdom do you give your loyalty to and like sort of raises all like Roman Empire then becomes all the other, you know, possible uh, mm. worldviews that claim our attention and our loyalties and, and is asking like, do you live your life according to the Torah or, or, or do you not? Are you in the kingdom of heaven or are you somewhere else? Which brings us back to 624, which was about who do you worship? And the options are God or money. Yes. Yeah. The logic of Rome is money. Logic of the Torah is God. Yeah. 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 But they're living in two kingdoms and it's saying you can't. Yeah. And it's acknowledging that even though you may know the story of God and that you may have read Deuteronomy, you may understand that the temptation to think like a Roman is strong. Mm -hmm. And so when you catch yourself worrying, you're thinking according to the logic of the empire, not according to the logic of God. And you've got got to stop that if you want to actually inhabit the kingdom of heaven, as Matthew calls it. Oh, but it's so hard. I know. (laughs) I know. But no, I think you're exactly right. I I think you're exactly right. And I love that way of thinking about it. When you catch yourself thinking in that logic, you have to try to stop yourself. So in verse 32 also, you know, it, it catches, I think, in an important way, this idea we've been talking about along the way that this passage is not saying food's not important, clothes aren't important, you know, these things aren't important because the way that Jesus frames it here is your heavenly father knows that you need them. Yeah. And so it's not that these things are don't matter or that you shouldn't be concerned, you know, right. that if you don't have them, but that there is a God who also knows and who does provide. And so you should, you should trust in that. This little bit in verse 33 is a, like a camp, a Christian camp song, Seek ye first the kingdom of oh, God. Oh, really? 
Yeah, and so you sing it, and it's, I mean, it's a lovely song. Like, I love, I, I really like it. I sing it sometimes, just, you know, I catch myself singing it sometimes. But I'm curious what you do with it as somebody who did not uh, presumably sing, sing it at camp. No, I've never, I've never sang these words. <laughs> the way the CEB has it is desire first and foremost God's kingdom and God's righteousness and all these other things will be given to you as well. Mm-hmm. Can you help me think about, like, what do you think that is trying to say? Okay, I'll tell you what I think it's trying to say, and then I'll tell you where I struggle. Yes. I think it's trying, I think it's trying to take us back to this, you know, idea from Deuteronomy and many other places in the Hebrew Bible that the king in the kingdom of God, there is plenty. There is enough. We don't have to fight for scraps, you know, between ourselves. And we have the power to make that true right here on earth now. And when we do, that that system works. But then my struggle is that system works if enough people do it. Right. If enough people don't do it, it may still be the right thing to do, especially if you have in mind, you know, sort of the your relationship with God as first and foremost, and maybe there is something after this life. And, you know, like, especially for those reasons, but the reality is you may die of poverty like, yeah, <laughs> because everyone else has taken all the stuff. Yeah. So I guess I understand the kingdom of God thing as a, as a, it's communal. Yes. And so if, if Jesus is trying to get individuals to buy into it, I understand that because the community is is made up of individuals. But what is the promise that's being given to an individual? Like, is it really that if if you're the only person in the whole Roman Empire who's not stockpiling stuff, yeah. all these things will be given to you? Or is that where the suffering comes in? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Amy, I mean, you've said it exactly right. And both what this text promises and also I think that problem of this text. And, and it's, it is a, it's a struggle. One thing to note is in Greek, these commands, these imperatives are plural. So it's mm. y'all's heavenly father knows that y'all need them. So y'all desire first and foremost, and all these things will be given to y'all as well. We really need a y'all translation they of the do. Bible. <laughs> yeah, the because Arkansas that makes such a big yeah. difference. It that does. makes a huge difference. Yeah. No, it absolutely does. And the so the community is in mind here from the beginning, and mm-hmm. it absolutely gets lost in the English. And I mean, the way this is commonly read and the way that I was taught to read it as a kid was this is about me not worrying and I'll get what's mine, mm-hmm. and which is a very, you know, 21st century American way of reading things. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you and I have talked on the podcast before a lot about this idea that, you know, if we, if we live this way as a community, then some of us will have more than we need and we will share it with people who don't have enough. And the trust there is that if someday you or I don't have enough, yes. somebody will help us out. And yeah. so it's the, the community will have enough resources if we share those resources yes. freely and properly and keeping in mind the widow, the orphan, and the stranger and all of the things we have been taught from the Torah forward. And, but you're exactly right. It's, it, it's community and it's, you've got to have a critical mass or it's not yeah. going to work. And the problem is that 
we don't trust, or I, I will say that it is difficult for me as a person. I, I, I have more than I need. I share a lot of what I have that is more than I need. But I'm also keeping an eye on my future, right? Yeah. So like I've taken care of me today. I've taken care of me and my kids tomorrow. And what's, what's left over, I will be generous with. Yes. And I think that's not bad, mm-hmm. but it is kind of a Roman imperial way of hedging this text. Because what this yeah. text I think is saying is I should feed me and my family and make sure they're clothed. And I should, then I should make sure my community is fed and clothed and well taken care of. And if that means that a week from now or a month from now or a year from now or whenever, I don't have enough food. You to don't put have on the enough table. because a tree falls on your house and you have yeah. to do whatever, but you don't have any savings because you gave it to someone else. Yeah. That it'll work out. Yeah. The yeah. Sun, then somebody's going to come back. Mm-hmm. And can you even imagine? I mean, I hope you can, but like the strengths of the bonds within a community that really lives that way. Yeah. That yeah. lets themselves be vulnerable and feels called to personally respond to people who are, who, who need. I mean, I don't do a good job at this either, Bobby. Like I, I do the same as you do. Like I, you know, we take care of our needs today. I do have a retirement account that I put money into. Like we do have college savings and I give, and, and we give money away and I just desperately don't ever want to be in the position where a tree falls on my house and I don't have a way to handle that. And then I have to ask for help. I think that's right, Amy. And you know, there's like this text to me is a, is a call to navigate some of that stuff in our own lives. And I don't know that exactly what Jesus was saying to a first century Roman empire necessarily is a direct map onto 21st century North America. But once you start like once you start saying things like that, you're just on the way to like relogicking yeah. the passage in light of your anxiety. Yes. Yeah. It it comes real quick. Yeah. Yes. And so what at what point do you consider your basic needs to have been met so that you right. can be generous? Right. And you know, I have a pretty high bar for, you know, it's not about sh- being showy and pre- prestigious, but it is about making right. sure that my family is secure in the future. And I mean, I don't know, like it seems like I it seems pretty uh, precarious. Um, seems pretty reckless to just be like, I, I don't know where, how my kids are going to go to college, but that guy over there yeah. needs a sandwich, you know? Yeah. It is interesting that the people that I know who are actually the best at living this out are the homeless people who come into Mercy Church and Canvas community. And yes. people get frustrated with them because they're like, I just gave you $20 yesterday. Like, what did you do with it? Well, I mean, not everybody in the homeless community obviously is living this out, but there's a whole bunch of them that the first thing they do when they get $20 is they go buy everybody they know a sandwich, you know? Yeah. They don't, they take care of the community. And I don't, I mean, I don't know, like there's a precarity. I don't know. There is a faith sometimes among people who are living on the street that, who who don't have any obvious reason to trust that they're going to be taken care of. That somebody like me who is quite well taken care of, I often have have trouble mustering that up for myself. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the illusion of independence and um, self-determination is a a real problem in my life. (laughs) It's a real problem because once I think I have those things, I'm desperate not to lose them, even if I never really had them to begin with. There's a church that was really active and I mean from probably from the seventies through the early two thousands that I, I don't know as much about as I should, but the Church of the Savior 
Gordon Crosby founded in Washington, D.C., and they were based on this model. But it wasn't exactly this, but it was like everybody shows each other your bank account (laughs) and everybody Mm -hmm. puts some percentage of it in there. I think it was 10%. And so, you know, if you're making $200,000 a year, you put 10% of that into the communal pot. If you're making $200 a year, you put 10% of that into the communal pot. And then the Mm -hmm. first thing that communal pot does is it makes sure everybody has their basic needs taken care of. They've got Mm -hmm. food to eat, place to live, clothes to wear. And then they took the rest of it and tried to do something that served the broader community. And that's just 10%. But I mean, even that is kind of like, I don't want anybody looking at my bank account and see how much, like how generous am I actually? But I think there are ways, like there are, and I I mean, I'm sure there people can think of other communities that have tried to approximate this kind of living where you take some set of people and you say, okay, this is our community that we're going to make sure. And if enough people did that, enough people said, you're my community, then eventually you could cover everybody. Right. As long as the communities were not a bunch of wealthy people found each other and a bunch of (laughs) poor people. Because I feel like that's what, that's what happens with a lot of our public systems. It's like the, you know, yeah. The people who most need a really outstanding public education are not the ones who get it. Yeah. This was one of the things we were trying to do at Mercy Church. It's one of the things we try to do at Canvas Community, but it's really, really hard is build relationships between people who are wealthy and people who are homeless so that they come to think of each other as belonging to each other. Because by and large, our world is constructed in such a way that we don't think we belong to each other. And mostly we don't have to see or talk to each other unless you you choose to. I roll up my car window at the traffic light. (laughs) You know, I never have to talk to anybody who's homeless unless I choose to go and build a relationship. And I think think that's a real problem. That's the logic of the empire again. It's like, just be with people like you. Don't build relationships that, that cross the economic barrier. Yeah. Well, I want to talk about verse 34 because I, I really love this verse. I, it mm-hmm. sounds different now after this conversation that we've had, but uh, therefore stop worrying about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. That sounded kind of trite to me earlier, but now that we've been talking about the things that are legitimate worries, that seems really yeah. profound. Yeah. My translation has tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Yeah. Do you know which, those feel different to me. They do. Amy, I think that just based on the quick Greek that I'm looking up just at this moment, I think that verb in the Greek, merimnao, can either mean worry or to have worry. Ah. And so it will either either have anxieties of its own or it will worry about itself. Can you talk a little bit about I mean, I know I like I have my own ideas about how those sound different, but can you talk a little bit about that? I think the idea that tomorrow will bring worries of its own for me is sort of like, you know, I, 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 at least when I'm in my more sane moments, I feel like I've reached a moment in life where I realize that you're never going to be done with your to-do list. Like it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Just do, <laughs> just do the next thing until the day is over. And like, it's, you can't worry about being finished with it. And so this to me feels like that. Like tomorrow, you can't pre-worry about tomorrow's things. Mm-hmm. You can't get them done early. So you're just creating more things for yourself to work. Like there, there's no way to get ahead. There's yeah. no, you know, you mentioned earlier the book of Kohelet, but, and it, this just feels very much like Kohelet. Like you can't get ahead of things. So just stop trying. It's, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> this is your portion this day. Whatever's in this day is all you have. Saying tomorrow will worry about itself sounds like, 
I don't know, maybe a little more dismissive or lighthearted. Mm. Like you're never going to have to worry about tomorrow. Like tomorrow will, yeah, you know, is its own thing. Mm-hmm. So I guess the, I don't know if they really end in a different place, but the first one's a little more sobering, but, mm-hmm. but true. I think sobering in a comforting way to me. That's really helpful. And I think I, I think I like the translation that you're reading as well. So it's sort of a promise that every day is going to have anxiety of its own and that you're going to have to keep reapplying this tactic of not worrying today about mm-hmm. things that are not worries till tomorrow. Yeah. So don't exhaust yourself with extra worry today because it's still going to be there mm-hmm. <laughs> tomorrow. Yeah. There was a New Testament professor back at my seminary, Columbia Seminary in Atlanta, Beth Johnson, and she was famous in her Greek classes for it's sort of a paraphrase. I've never been able to find this translation anywhere, so I think it must be her translation. But she she read this as, let the evil of the day be sufficient thereunto. Mm. And I carry that around in my mental I've heard you say that mental before. Pocket. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I use it like yeah. I think it's helpful to, we've been talking a lot, a lot about economic worry. And I think that's, I think that is what this passage is about. Yeah. And also that idea that the that each day has sufficient worry. And so don't get ahead of yourself, not just in terms of money or security, but in terms of all the things. For her, it was about Greek, right? Don't worry about learning participles because today we're just (laughs) learning the present indicative, (laughs) you know? Like, um, so don't get ahead. Like the stuff's going to come. And so I've, yeah, if you've heard me say it, I mean, I, I say ha- it all the time. I have heard time. you say it enough that I think I have asked you on occasion, <laughs> what is that from? thing that you say that yeah. ends with thereunto? <laughs> yeah. Let the yeah. evil of the day be sufficient thereunto. I mean, I think I like that that verse, those verses are both comforting, but they feel really like realistic and not yeah. sort of Pollyanna comforting. Yeah. It's like, don't worry. It'll be fine. Yeah. It'll be fine. It doesn't actually say that. It's like- There's going to be more stuff to worry about. You're exhausting yourself for no reason. Yeah. And that's not comforting to a middle schooler. (laughs) Yeah. You know, that's not what I would have wanted to hear when I was younger. But now when people just say, don't worry, it feels dismissive. And this is saying like, no, there are are troubles of the day. You are going to have to find food. You are going to have to find whatever warmth or clothing you need. But- yeah, don't don't get out of control with that. Yeah. Because it's not doing anything. Exactly. All right, Amy. Well, we've been sort of moving back and forth between biblical text and modern life the whole time, which is some of my favorite mm. podcasts, actually. We, we do that way. But if you're thinking about this text and where it connects with contemporary life, and you're going to give a most important takeaway, or at least an important takeaway, what, what do you want to say? You know, I, I mentioned it at the beginning that I— I taught a class this morning on the Jewish practice of quieting, which is really sort of like another form of meditation. It just wasn't called meditation at that time. And, and just so much of this passage is reminding me of, of, of that teaching, not because that was focused on anxiety in particular, but just sort of the way in which we become in, like slaves of our thoughts and like every thought feels so tied into yes. ourselves and we believe every thought that pops into our head and there's no natural end point to it. Like, mm. it's not that you're, you're going to, it's not just going to end on its own. Just as we were saying, like your worries, your worries are not just, <laughs> you're not going to run out of worries. <laughs> mm. 
And so the the practice that we were talking about starts with this, you know, trying to trying to slow your thinking down, trying to hold on to each thought a little longer than you want to. And then when you feel some space open up, it suggests having some kind of mantra like there is none besides you, ain ode milvado or the, you know, the Lord is the true God, Adonai Elohim Amet, or something like that. But it just reminds me of what this is, of sort of the, the message of this text and how much you really need a spiritual practice mm. to be able to stop yourself from going down that road of anxious thinking and behaviors yes. and instead fill your mind with the reality of God over and over and over again because it is mm. it's hard and it's hard in ancient times and in modern times and in all kinds of religious traditions so i think kind of strangely what i'm coming away from this text with is people should find a spiritual practice to to break that sort of thought thought mm-hmm. anxiety cycle and instead like reorient themselves towards a much bigger reality and anchor themselves somewhere else but it's hard. Yeah. This is really a practice. I really love that, Amy. Because I, you know me, I, I often will skip by the spiritual practice to look for the social practice. Mm. And what you've said is exactly the right starting place for this text. Find a spiritual practice that connects you to God, to trust in God's providence, God's ability to provide for, uh, for us, for you, and to drown out those other anxious mm-hmm. voices. That's the first step mm-hmm. to my That's second step. That's the first step. step. Yes. And then give me this. Connect right. yourself to a community. Yes. Yes. That what this text is about is trusting God as it is lived out in community. Yes. And you, you, cannot, you cannot have the community or at least uh, the community that Jesus is envisioning here without that trust in God that is, underlies the whole thing. But also the trust in God, exactly the point is, if you, it has to connect you to a community that shares these values and trusts in God in the same way. Mm-hmm. And as we were talking about earlier, those communities need to be communities of neighbors who run the gamut from people who have resources to the widow, the orphan, the stranger, the homeless right. person next door. And so not just that you need to know them and say hi to them in the morning, but we need to feel a responsibility for each other as neighbors, grounded in our trust in God that there is enough for all of us to then learn each other's names, care about each other, and provide for each other to make sure that nobody falls through the cracks. And which is, I mean, a huge ask. But I yeah. think the, the first step is that spiritual practice. The second step is to start asking ourselves, who do we know? And who do we not know maybe is the more important question. Yeah. And why don't yeah. we know them? And let's go let's go build relationships with them so we feel responsible for each other. My experience of doing that in my own small way at at Mercy Church was that there is lots of mutual sharing. I had more financial resources to share with that community, but people who were coming into that community from other positions in life had lots and lots to offer me. And we we cared about each other. Like we we Mm -hmm. genuinely did. And we provided for each other's uh, well-being, both uh, monetarily, but also spiritually and emotionally. And it is possible. It's really hard. Our world is not constructed in ways yeah. that make it easy to do that kind of stuff. And I mean, and Mercy Church fell apart 
<laughs> exactly because <laughs> it's really hard to do. Jesus got himself crucified because it's really hard <laughs> to do. <laughs> yeah. But nonetheless, yeah. here, here seems to be the, the call. Yeah. I love that. We've given people a step one and a step two. I like it. <laughs> Just don't spend us so long on step one that you never get around to step two. Yes, yes. <laughs> but don't yes. skip to step two without doing step one because then you're doing something Because then than, your anxiety will come back. Yeah, that's exactly And you right. won't have a way to deal with it and you'll pull out of the system. That's exactly right. Well, Amy, I'm really enjoying talking about these Sermon on the Mount texts with you. I feel like there's a, it's like a different kind of text than we sometimes read less Mm -hmm. narrative as the narrative lectionary tends to focus on and more like instructional and how do we think about these instructions we've got one more text in the sermon on the mount that we'll read next time we're going to be in matthew 7 1 to 14 and then 24 to 29 all righty i'll be here who knows where i'll be this time (laughs) next time we record (laughs) i was like who knows where you'll be but i don't i think i will be here at home in atlanta very mm-hmm. nice. I think I will be back home as well. But I like our Bible worm on the road idea. I think we should. I think we should. Uh, we should pursue, pursue that. that at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, Amy. Take care. I'll see you next time. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of Bible Worm. If you've enjoyed this free podcast, we hope you'll help us keep it going by joining our Patreon for as little as four dollars per month. You can also sign up for other goodies like early access, video lectures, weekly liturgies, and more. Visit patreon.com slash Podcast for details. Bible Worm is produced by Bobby Williamson and edited by Joel and Laura Becker. Our theme song is sung by Colin Bagby, and our theme music is The World at Large by Dano Songs. Thank you, thank you, thank you to all of our Patreon supporters for helping to make this podcast possible. Join us next week when we'll read the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, 1-14 and 24-49. Until then, keep on digging.